everybody. How are y'all doing today? That, that's it? How are y'all doing today? All right. It's a little better. We have free coffee, so a lot of y'all need, need some coffee, so uh, make sure you get some before you leave. Well, my name is David McMinn, and I'm the pastor here, and I'm so glad that uh, you have chosen to worship God, for today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series. I'm very excited about the Lord's Prayer. So many of us pray this every single day, and at the very least, we pray it every single week in worship. And you might have been wondering, why? Why do we do that? Why do we take the time and the effort to pray this prayer? And simply because Jesus said, pray this way, so we do it. But also, this one prayer teaches us what it means and what it looks like to pray to God and give our will, to surrender our will to God and who God is. So last week we talked about this idea in the first line of this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, about how we are called to have a relationship with God, our Father, that is supposed to be intimate and close. But yet we're also reminded that that same God who is our Father is holy and in heaven and that God wants holiness from our life, too. That we're actually supposed to pattern our life after God. And, we're, and both of those things are both true and in that same prayer. But what's awesome, if we have a God who's our Father and cares about our daily life, and yet is more powerful than our world, is out of this world, that God is actually big enough to take care of our problems. And so that's why today we're talking about let God and let go. And you probably have heard that saying as kind of a trite throwaway saying, but today we're going to really talk about it more than, you know, Elsa in Frozen, where she just sings, let it go, and just pretends for problems to go away. Let go, let God is not trite. It's about trusting God with our spiritual lives, our relational lives, our physical lives, and our past, and our present, and our future. I'm going to read the scripture today. I'm going to continue to go through it in the traditional language that we're used to. I'm going to read out of the CEB just in case there might be something that catches your, your mind a little bit differently when we read it this time. So again, this is chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And this is what it says. Pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. I don't know if you caught that, but it, the first part of that prayer focuses on God and God's will. If you look at our world, we are an anxious People. We have politicians that are teaching us to fear the other, and our news, which are a little bit like Chicken Little, and telling us that the sky is falling and causing more and more fear in our lives so that we will tune in and watch more and more news and be more and more afraid, and the cycle continues over and over again. Would it help you to know that in the midst of this, we have a God who's saying that I am present, that I am there that I am with you, that I am guiding you, that I am helping you in these situations. So much so that when we let God control our lives, Paul says in Philippians that we will receive a peace 
that passes all understanding. Who could use a little more peace in their life? Amen, right? I could use a little more peace in my life. And the way we receive that peace is by trusting God with our lives and letting God fill our life. But Before we get to what we need, this prayer actually has two parts. If you look at it, the first part goes like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you catch it? It's all about God in the first half, right? So often we go to God like some sort of cosmic vending machine. We put our prayer in, we pull the handle, and we get what we want, right? And yet this pattern, when Jesus says pray like this, he says pray, and we focus on God first. God's name, God's will, God's kingdom on earth. And when we do that, it puts all things into focus. You see, this prayer, we're praying on earth as it is in heaven. We want God's reality of heaven to invade our reality because we know that God's way of doing things is by far greater than our way of doing things. And so we're praying that God's name, God's will, and God's kingdom come and be active in our lives. And yet, the prayer doesn't end there, because God does care about our lives. Just in the chapter before, we hear, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are those who are persecuted. And the word blessed means that God's favor is upon you. So when God is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, God's favor is on the poor in spirit. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are the meek. God's favor is on them. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for God's sake. So it's not just that God wants us to only focus on God and that God doesn't care about our daily needs. In fact, it's like God is saying, you have needs, let's talk. You have needs, let's talk. But before we go to God with our needs, we need to mentally refocus ourselves and focus on God first. God's name, God's will, and God's kingdom. I often think when I, when I talk about the Lord's Prayer, of the prayer that many of us would pray, it's probably closer to Janis Joplin, right? Anybody remember that song? Lord, buy me a Mercedes Benz. All my friends drive Porsches, anybody? That's what we go to God. We go to God with what we want and what we desire. But Jesus is saying, go to God and ask God for God's will for your life and then present your needs to God. And the second half of the prayer shows us that God cares about those needs, that God, who is a good father, wants to give us good gifts and wants to take care of our life. What do we say? Give us our daily bread. God caring about our lives. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Trespass is a fancy word. Sometimes use debt, sometimes sins. Forgive us of our mistakes as we forgive those who've made mistakes against us. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or in some versions, from the evil one. This prayer is about trusting God with our physical, our spiritual, and our relational lives. Give us this day our daily bread. That's trusting God to provide our needs. This isn't about 
some fancy way that God's going to work, that if you pray enough or if you give enough to the church, you're going to have a huge house and no problems. That doesn't exist. What it is is saying that if you go to God and you ask God to help you with your needs, that God will bring help. And God will help take care of your bread and of your shelter and of your clothes, those basic necessities in life. And when we say, give us our daily bread, we are going to God and saying, rather than having anxiety about what tomorrow will bring, we are going to trust you, God, because we believe that you know what we need, and you're going to provide it. That doesn't mean we're not going to have hardships. That doesn't mean we're not going to have difficulties, because those will come. There are things outside of our control, and sometimes God does let bad things happen to us. But We go to God, and we trust God with our daily bread. But one amazing, there's something really interesting in this one line. And I tell you, these are 57 words in the original Greek, and it's so amazing how much stuff is packed into these 57 words. But Jesus doesn't pray, give me my daily bread. He says, give us our daily bread. You see, when we put God first and God's will first and we seek heaven on earth, and we seek God's will for our life. We seek our daily bread. We seek the good of those around us. We seek some level of mutual benefit, not just our own good, not for our good above, our, above others, but for the good of everyone around us. We seem to believe that in this world economy that there's only so much good and that if I don't get it, that someone else is going to get it. Or to, for me to have something, I've got to take it from someone else. But that's not how God's economy works. God's economy says it's for our good, that we're here for each other. So when we say give us our daily bread, we're calling for the good for everyone. Not just our tribe, not just our family, not just our church, but for everyone. We want everyone to experience God's blessing. I don't know if you've been hungry lately, and and I can't think of a lot of times in my life where I've been hungry because of need. But I used to participate as a youth, as a youth pastor, and as a college pastor in something called the 30-hour famine. And for some reason, we would choose to not eat for 30 hours. And we, I would choose to hang out with hangry teenagers for 30 hours while they didn't eat, which is really crazy. I have no idea why anyone would choose that. But we did it because 30 hours is the amount of time that people go who have food insecurity go between meals. 30 hours. Now, that's hard for me to do one time. Imagine that to be your daily existence. And what's amazing about doing these 30-hour famine, and, and you're doing this with teenagers who, who've never really sacrificed or fasted or, or done anything really that difficult, and they give up food for 30 hours, and they raise money for World Vision to, to help with food insecurities, and it starts to change them. And I had this one teenager who was deathly afraid of homeless people. And every single 30-hour famine, we'd go down and we'd go to church on the bridge. And because I'm mean, I'd make these hangry kids actually feed other people. So they would know what it's like to see food and not be able to eat it. And she was terrified to go. But she went and she started interacting with them and realized that these are human beings, that these are children of God and that God loves them. And so she is called to love them too. And at the end, I witnessed her giving a hug to a homeless man, which may not seem like a big deal. But when you go to being terrified of someone, to hugging them, something amazing has happened in your life. Give us our daily bread. Do we trust God that God has not only enough for us, but for our neighbor? 
with people around us, to share what we have and trust that God is going to make it be enough for us and for everyone. This prayer is also about trusting God with our spiritual needs. In the desert, Jesus, is, who goes for 40 days and 40 nights without food and water, don't try that at home. You're not Jesus. <laughs> at least drink water. He goes for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, and Satan tempts him. He said, you have the power of God. You need to turn one of these rocks into bread. And Jesus responds with scripture. One does not live on bread alone, but by the very word that comes from God. And then later we're told the word who is Jesus is the bread of life. So when we say give us our daily bread, we're not just talking about taking care of our physical needs. We're saying we need you, God, to take care of our spiritual needs too. Friends, when we don't have a daily relationship with God, we're missing out on power in our lives. We're missing out on grace and love. There is no way to do this Christian life, to do all the things that Jesus has required of us, that Jesus asked us to do. Yes, grace is a free gift from God, but God certainly wants you to live differently when you say you follow him. And there's no way to do it if you don't have a deep and abiding daily feast of the bread of life. Recently, I went on a trip to Ohio. Traveling-wise, this is the worst trip that I've ever been on. It was right after the mission trip, which that was my first mistake, trying to travel somewhere right after I had not slept a whole lot, mainly because Josh and I would uh, stay up late with some of the other leaders and eat Oreo cookies and milk. Um, but uh, it was a great way to end the day. But I was pretty tired, and so I flew to Chicago, and I was about to walk out of the Chicago airport when I realized that Chicago wasn't my destination. Cincinnati was. And then while I was in the Chicago airport, for some reason they keep it really cold, and I didn't have a sweater, so I went and I bought a sweater. In the process of buying a sweater, I left my bag in the store, which I'm sure I set off all sorts of security alarms. They probably had to shut down the airport. I don't know. And I didn't realize it until I got on the plane. And so I didn't have my clothes. I didn't have my stuff. I was, giving, I was doing a recruiting trip for our conference. I didn't have my little giveaways to give. It was just terrible. And on the way back, my flight got delayed, and I had to wait another day to come home after being gone from my family for a week and missing that much time with them. And so I'm in the airport, and I'm the first one in line to get my flight rescheduled, and I'm desperate to get home because I'm still hoping that I can get home that day. And the lady says, I need everybody to sit down. And like I said, I was the first person in line. I need everybody to sit down, and I'm going to call you up by your destination. So I sat down, and I was about the only one who listened because everyone else got up and got in line, and she didn't make any of them sit down. And now, you know, the, the airport's already an angry place as it is, in an anxious place. And now my flight's been delayed. I'm not going to get home. And now I'm the last one in line. And I realized in that moment I had a choice. I had a choice. Am I going to be the type of person that unloads on this person and makes their day an awful day that's already a bad day because it's not their fault? Or I'm going to follow Christ. And I could not have made the choice to receive peace in that moment in the midst of my travel issues if I didn't feast daily on the bread of life. Seek God daily. It's the only way that we can live and have life abundant. But Jesus goes on to continue to take care of our spiritual issues because we then say, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
So we're actually asking God in this prayer, as we struggle daily with the sins in our life and the temptations, not to lead us into temptation, whatever that might be for you. I don't know what your struggles are, but we all do it. I struggle daily with temptation and sin. I'm human. You are human. It's going to be a struggle. And we pray that God will fortify us in the middle of that and that God will strengthen us and protect us from the evil that's in this world. It's about taking care of your heart. And saying, God, I need you to watch over me spiritually and give me strength. And finally, in this section, it's about taking care of our relational life. And we've talked about how we as humans are made to be relational beings, right? We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who are kind of like a, a holy family. And we are designed to be in relationship with each other and in relationship with God. But there's one major roadblock. There's one major roadblock to that relationship, and that is unforgiveness. When we hold forgiveness back from people, we're not only blocking up our relationship with that person, we're blocking up our relationship with God. Because we say, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And not only that, if you keep reading what Jesus says, if you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. That's heavy. So not only does unforgiveness block up our relationship with each other, unforgiveness blocks up our relationship with God. Because how can we believe that God loves us and God forgives us if we're not willing to forgive each other? Do you trust God to give you the power to forgive people who have hurt you? Or do you want to hold unforgiveness to yourself? I tell you, it's really hard to believe that God wants to forgive you and bless you and love you if you hold on to hate and anger for other people. Because we believe that others are like us, and so we believe that God is holding on to unforgiveness and hate towards us. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, this, I do want to say, just a little aside, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Reconciliation is when two parties come together, right? And we get this really confused. It's really important. Because if you believe that you're doing reconciliation, you're going to allow yourself to be hurt by someone who's not ready to change who they are. Forgiveness is just saying, I'm not going to hold what you did against me. But it does not mean you're going to go back in that same relationship with that person without reconciliation. Reconciliation takes both people seeking forgiveness and coming together. Reconciliation is not required. Forgiveness is required. So I hope that you will trust both your life and what other people have done to you, to God, and let it go. These 57 words are pretty incredible, aren't they? But there's one other element I want to point out. There's one other element. And that's that this prayer teaches us to trust God with our past, our present, and our future. Our past, our present, and our future. When we say forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, we're saying we're not going to carry that baggage anymore. All that pain, all that hurt that we have been loading up on our shoulders and that we're carrying with us daily through our life, we're going to let it go and we're going to let God carry that. Do you trust God to take care of your past? When we pray, give us our daily bread. So that we can receive the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's about trusting God with the day in and day out of our life. 
It doesn't mean we don't work. It doesn't mean we don't strive and don't try to do what God has called us to do. But it just means that we're going to trust God in the midst of all of our situations every single day. And we trust God with our future when we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you believe that God can guide the path of your life, your future, to something that is good and holy and wonderful for you? We need to trust God with our past, our present, and our future. We need to trust God with our spiritual lives, our relational lives, and our physical lives. I want to leave you with uh, words from one of my favorite songs. It's from Lead Me to the Cross. And this is what it says. You were as I, tempted and tried. Human word became flesh, bore my sin and death. Now you've risen. And everything I once held dear, I count it as lost. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees. I lay me down and I rid myself. I belong to you. Lead me to your heart. And once we're led to the heart of God, we can trust God with our lives our spiritual lives, our physical lives, our relational lives, and our past, our present, and our future. May you let God and let go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.